Hello and welcome, or welcome back to Marked Out for Fruitfulness. This is episode number 16 and we're still in Mark chapter 5 and we're picking up the story from where we left off. Now you might remember that last time we were introduced to a figure called Jairus who approaches Jesus begging him to come and heal his daughter who's at death's door. But no sooner has he got out his request, then a woman who was hemorrhaging blood captures Jesus' attention. Now we looked at that incident last time. Let's resume where we left off, only this time we'll focus on Jairus. So we'll pick up the story beginning at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And then uh, jumping to verse 35, where Jesus is talking to the woman with the issue of blood, we pick up the story. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child isn't dead but asleep, but they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. He told them to give her something to eat. There can be few situations that are more heart-rending or desperate than the sickness of a child, particularly when that child is your child. And here we encounter Jairus, knowing that his daughter, as he puts it, is at death's door. And this leads him to put all thorts of preserving dignity or decorum to one side and to petition Jesus in desperation. Come and heal my little girl. And he must have wondered, mustn't he, in real time, whether by some dreadful misfortune the appearance of that woman with the hemorrhage of blood had sabotaged the chance of Jesus actually getting to his beloved daughter in time. And his worst fears looked justified, actually, as someone with absolutely zero pastoral skills says to him, your daughter is dead, why bother the teacher anymore? And Jesus says to him, don't be afraid, just believe. Well, actually, I'm helpfully told by a commentary that the tense of what Jesus says 
renders it more like this. Don't be afraid. Just go on believing like you are doing. Go on exercising that kind of faith that has led you to seek me out and ask me to come and heal your daughter and it will be okay. And so the story plays out and Peter, James and John and Jairus and uh, Jairus's wife go to the room and what a marvellous ending. Little girl, I say to you, get up. And she does. Quite why Jesus asks that it's kept secret, really, uh, I haven't a clue. And I don't think anyone else has either. Now, Mark seems to draw attention in these stories and in the next one, which we'll read in just a minute, on the importance of faith, doesn't he? In verse 34, he said to the woman, daughter, your faith has healed you. And in verse 36, he says to Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. And it, it's as if Mark is getting our eyes to focus on this. And it's an emphasis that is reinforced in the passage immediately following, which I'll read now, Mark 6, 1 to 6. Only this time, it's a lack of faith which is accentuated. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he went to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this a carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own town, amongst his relatives and in his own home. And he could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, as you know, this journey through Mark's Gospel that we're doing has in mind how to be more fruitful disciples. And I, I really don't think we can dodge the issue. What are we to learn from these incidents? What is the connection between faith and healing? Personally, one of the very first and most exciting things that I encountered when I became a Christian, uh, put my life in Jesus' hands in 1980 when I was at, at Exeter University, I started worshipping in a local church, a tiny little village church in a place called Dunsford, just on the borderline with Dartmoor. And uh, in a little village church, congregation probably never more than 30 people. Every time they had five Sundays in a month, which happens a few times a year, there would be, quote unquote, a healing service. And the vicar, who I got to know quite well, uh, quite an elderly man, um, would invite those who were sick and who wanted God to heal them to come forward and kneel at the altar rail. And I, I just vividly remember watching him lay his hands on uh, the head of a man who was deaf. And I don't know what he prayed, but uh, in the next ensuing seconds, there was this loud noise as the man took off his hearing aid and slung it under the benches or the pews because his hearing had come back and now he was just hearing far, far, far too loud. And that was the first encounter I had, and I think it was a pretty healthy one in every respect, of seeing the power of healing prayer. 
But over the years since then, I, I have walked the walk with many, many people who've been sick. And I've come to see this is really quite challenging territory. It's, to my mind anyway, not that straightforward. So, so what can we learn from these passages? Is it really as simple as when you have faith, healing happens, and when you don't, it doesn't? Is that what Mark's trying to tell us? Well, I said in the last talk, and I probably will say many times, uh, formula hunters keep away. If it was as simple as discovering a formula that works, um, surely it would have been discovered by now and the amount of healings would go through the roof. Let me try and untangle a few knots here. And as I say, I, I, I think personally it's quite complicated territory. There certainly does seem to be a dynamic at work that when people have an inner conviction stroke a trusting that God can heal and will heal, it does seem to be a catalyst to action. For example, in these stories, the woman with the hemorrhage seems propelled to Jesus in the conviction that, as she puts it, if I can just touch the edge of his garment, I will be healed. Jairus, likewise, is displaying, isn't he, a degree of trust, enough to throw caution to the wind and not to care what anyone else is thinking and to throw himself at Jesus' feet and say, please come and heal my daughter. And it's equally clear, is it not, that what Mark highlights for us about Jesus' visit to his hometown is a lack of expectation of faith and that it proves a barrier to him doing much short of the healing a few people, the odd person here and there, leaving Jesus marvelling at their lack of trust. But is that it? What are we to make of all this? And some people jump to the, to the conclusion from passages like this that it's all really quite simple. And they basically say, if you have enough faith, healing will happen. And if you don't see healing, it's because you don't have enough faith. And personally, I think that kind of thinking is the road to injury and disappointment and a lot of damage. Let's take a relatively common situation Someone that you love is diagnosed with cancer, or maybe you are diagnosed with cancer, and every test indicates that it's increasingly invasive, and frankly, barring a miracle, it will be terminal. Now, if you believe, or your friends believe, that the fulcrum to effective healing prayer rests on having the right quantity of faith, then not being healed will lead you to blame yourself or to try harder. And if the evidence of the disease progressing increases, you might even find yourself going into denial about what is staring you in the face. Because you start to think, or your friends tell you, if I acknowledge that the cancer is spreading, it's akin to acknowledging I'm not believing enough. And I've seen people go down that road, and probably you have too. And the great damage that it does is it causes injury and misery because going into denial about the reality of a situation really lessens the chance of preparing for death or having those precious conversations and coming to terms with the situation. So what can I offer by way of a, an alternative way forward? Well, let me step back um, a pace or two and to offer an alternative framework. And actually to say, 
it's good to think about these things uh, in a context like this where uh, in a sense it's in the abstract we're not having to sort out the situation in front of someone who is terminally ill it's good to think in advance when our passions and emotions are not all in a whirl well i would say this number one remember it's faith in jesus that we're called to have it's not faith in faith or another way of putting it is it's not faith healing as such it's jesus healing that we're hoping for and looking for and actually to try and clarify that i like substituting the word trust for the word faith because it makes this much clearer who are you trusting in when you're asking for healing and the answer for us as christians is jesus and then secondly and this could confuse us a bit so i hope it won't is a, there is such a thing as the gift of faith it's i would describe it like this it's a certain knowledge that healing is going to happen god's going to do it let me give you an example i think peter and john have this in acts chapter 3 when they walk past the beautiful gate and they must have done that many many times when they went to worship in the temple but on that day they looked at the man who was crippled and they they just knew in they just knew in the knower that god was going to heal him and they said in the name of jesus get up and walk and it happened and that is the gift that this woman has in mark chapter 5 and evidently it's the gift that jesus has when praying for Jairus's daughter too. The author Francis McNutt, Roman Catholic priest, in his book on healing, describes how this kind of anointing comes upon him from time to time. And he says when it comes, he just knows, he can say, with God's authority, be healed. And it happens. As opposed to praying something along the lines, God, if it's your will, please heal so-and-so. It's like a threshold is crossed. How do you know then if it's God's anointing to pray like this or just wishful thinking? And frankly, I think the answer to that is trial and error. We go about this humbly and uh, in submission, but if you don't pray the prayer, you'll never discover. I think personally, it is a spiritual gift, a charismatic gift, an anointing of healing that becomes recognizable through practice. That's to say, when we find ourselves praying for our friends, we might well find that some people we know, uh, they see more healing happen than others because they have a spiritual gift of healing. And I do think it's right to pray for our friends to be healed. After all, why wouldn't you? You love them, you care for them, and we're asking Jesus to do it. And it's something Jesus commands us to do. At the same time as saying this, I don't think it trivialises healing to remember that none of us will be totally healed in this life. The day will come when it's time to die. And the underlying security that we all need and that's on offer for us is to know the security that putting our lives into Jesus' hands brings. That he not only walks with us in this life, he walks with us through death. And he welcomes us to eternal life that we shall all die and we will all appear before the judgment seat of god but those of us who have asked his forgiveness and pledged him our allegiance 
in this life, uh, we are forgiven. We are ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. And uh, we will be with him in eternal life. John 17.3 tells us this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And we know that for sure. We have what's called in technical jargon, assurance of salvation. When we exchange our broken, damaged, sinful lives with the new life that is ours in Jesus Christ. And I think the secure platform from which we pray for our friends and for ourselves to be physically healed in this life is a platform of trusting the Lord, whatever the outcome will be. We're really praying, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to hide from you my desire for healing. I'm not going to hide from you that I so wish that you would heal my friend x we know you've got the power to do it and we know if it's your will you will do it and we ask you to because that's our heart's desire but it's up to you now some people will think that prayer is too flimsy and not authoritative enough you may be right but it does seem a very secure place from which to pray and if while we're praying god should give us that wonderful gift of faith the gift, the charismatic gift of just knowing healing is going to happen, well, we should be absolutely thrilled. I'm sure we'll return to this uh, many more times as we continue our journey through Mark. I'm going to uh, give you a couple of questions. What's your best experience of praying for healing or receiving healing prayer? And secondly, what tips would you have for each other as we think about this subject? Enjoy your small group.